I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Have you just like ever needed a conversation with someone and you didn't even know it? Uh, That's what this these actually two episodes uh, were for me. Uh, Yesterday, I sat down with Lindsay Goldwert, the author of Bow Down, Lessons from Dominatrix on How to Get Everything You Want. And I'd actually heard of this book back in February, before before the dark time. Um, Calvin was raving about it while we were uh, performing in Boston at Somerville Theater and talking about all the lessons he was learning in it and that how like all of us in Oxex should read it. And so I didn't put two and two together when uh, I booked Lindsay uh, until I got sent a digital copy. And I was like, oh my God, I know, I know that cover. I loved the cover. Um, anywho, I I talked about last week, I've been in these weird funks, these weird moods. I think it's a combination of things. Uh, A lot of us in New York are feeling, uh, are feeling not good. It's, you're watching the numbers go up. You're watching de Blasio and Cuomo make the same mistakes again. Uh, We are dangerously close to a second shutdown, which you know, it feels like the right move to save lives and then how many more businesses will die um, because there's no one's helping them. It's been all put on us, the consumer, the constituent. Uh, and we t- me and Lindsay talk about that a little bit too in the podcast. But basically, I've just been all over the place uh, in my mind with COVID and myself, my body, my career, where I'm at. I'm 32. Do you feel like that's too old to be a creative in this world? And spoiler alert, it's not. Um, And I have been learning that, but to talk to Lindsay about it uh, was amazing. And so we talk for a little over an hour and a half. These, it's a great conversation. I, it gave me just like so much clarity. I feel like, um, and really just helped a lot. And I, I hope it helps you too, uh, wherever you are in this weird, <sighs> this weird moment in between these holidays where we're just missing normalcy even more. And I, I mean by normalcy, of just like going home for the holidays, seeing our family, uh, the stress that comes with that, like it's gone, it's missing. And just like all this shit. So yeah, I think 
you're really gonna like these next two episodes. Um, I'm not gonna give like a like a book report summary of what we talk about. Uh, I just think it's really good. And I want you to remember her book, Bow Down, Lessons from Dominatrix, on how to get everything you want. And you can follow her at Lindsay Goldwert, uh, Lindsay spelled with an A, uh, underscore Goldwert, G-O-L-D-W-E-R-T, uh, for all quality content. Um, and I hope you enjoy. I'll see you on the other side. Oh my God, though, I didn't realize when I saw the first email looking for like to get on podcasts, I was like, yeah, of course, it sounds great. And then when you sent me the book, I was like, oh, I fucking know this book. Like, uh, Calvin loves it. He was like taking notes in it and he was like, you have to get this book. It's so good. Uh, Carolina Teresa, I think was like Googling it to, to buy that night. This was way back. This was like end of February, um, right before like shit hit the fan for everyone. Yes. Um, we didn't know what was coming, but, um, yeah, I was going to buy it. And then like, I didn't have a job and I was like, no, no. Well, if you want a hard copy, I'm happy to send it. Um, it's the soft cover is coming out in January and it's a very, it's a different cover. It's a little more, a little, even though it's red and has like a black boot on it, it's still a little more friendly. Um, the cover was a little too spicy for people, I think. And it was sort of mis, in my opinion, I think it might've been misshelved under finance which was really cool because I'm a money writer, but uh-huh. it might have scared people who were looking for like investment tips or how to retire early. Oh, goddamn. Yeah. So it's definitely um, has a career point of view in it. So when I sold the book, it was initially supposed to be kind of a personal finance and workbook. Mm-hmm. I was going to interview Dom's and ask them how to be more powerful at work in particular, like how to stand up for yourself with your boss, how to negotiate for a raise, how to tell your boss that you have too much work on your plate without sounding like you're, you know, well, advocating for yourself. And then, so I think that's how the book was sold as more of a work and career book. And I'm a personal finance writer who's now moving more toward lifestyle and personal finance, which is more of my jam anyway because I'm not a personal finance planner or a certified financial planner. But as I was writing the book, I just fell so madly in love with these women. And I was so moved by their general attitude toward life. And I began to really see how looking through life through this kind of kinky lens was just the ethos for me. Yeah. (laughs) Even though I wasn't necessarily a kinky person in relative relative to people who are more in the scene uh so i am definitely an adventurer and an enthusiast and i didn't see anything that really shocked me i saw some new things but i didn't see anything that just was like i gotta get out of here (laughs) but ultimately the book became much more of a personal finance sorry um a personal empowerment journey i hate that word but I was going through a lot of personal stuff during the book and I felt very much, you know, I turned 40 and I was going through, you know, this is my act too. What do I want this to look like? And what have I learned? So it ended up becoming this real come to Jewish Jesus about the kind of life I wanted to have. So that's what the book ended up becoming. And it was different than how it was sold. So, um, I'm really excited for the paperback because I think it's going to be much more in line with what people can expect when they open the book, as opposed to thinking that they're getting some sort of like how to diversify your portfolio (laughs) uh, type thing, which is not that. I'm really excited to read it. I'm really excited to get into it because I remember Calvin being like, it just has so many good tips about things that like he was dealing with. At, at that time so and I'm not I don't want to speak for Calvin I don't want Calvin to be like what um when he listens to this later but um you were saying it was like an act two was it because you were turning 40 as like a woman and everyone's like once you're 35 as a woman you're like nothing anymore or is that just how I think people think about women I don't know it is how women people is how women think about women mm. is what I've learned uh we are very very cruel to ourselves mm, yes. um and I'll talk about that later about the the complete lie that we are fed about not being sexy once we're over 40. 
Um, but yeah, Calvin's such a sweetheart. I'm so honored that he likes the book. He's such a wonderful human being and I, I love seeing him. I've done a few podcasts with him myself. But yeah, it's uh, the idea of an act two was I am kind of a late bloomer and I spent a lot of my time, you know, I don't think, um, you know, ages zero to 20 or just sort of your wah wah. It's like your pre, it's like your preamble. It doesn't really count, you know? And then mm-hmm. you're, in my opinion, like, you know, you're 20 to 40 is like, you know, you're starting your career, you're starting out dating, seriously dating and having relationships. You're starting to figure out how to be an adult and take care of yourself. And you make a lot of, you know, your young mistakes. And I felt that I was a late bloomer in many ways because from 20 to 35, I would say, I was sort of doing the, I was on the path that I laid out for myself when I was 20. And I began to realize that it was not necessarily the right path. And I needed so much time to kind of forgive myself and to understand that I'm, that I wasn't a failure for not having, for having stayed on the not wrong path, but stayed on not quite the right path for me. Uh, so when I said act two, it just happened to be around the time I turned 40. It had nothing necessarily to do with the, the chronological age of it. So that's why I called it my act two, that I was going to take all the mistakes and lessons and, joys and pains from my act one and be like, okay, how can I synthesize all this stuff and just have my next act be better and be more confident and just kind of get it. Cause I did learn a lot from 20 to 40, you know, like a lot of good and a lot of bad. Absolutely. So that's what I meant by act two. Okay, cool. I, that's, I mean, it's really interesting. Uh, just so the viewers know, like we, uh, me and Lindsay haven't talked before. And so it's really interesting I love when it's people I don't know and then we're already like on the same like path in a lot of ways like particularly this week and I don't know why because it's not I'm not PMSing I've been like in a really 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 shitty mood and similar to you like I had a very particular path that I wanted to go through I'm 32 now but I moved to the city at 23 and immediately was like applying for like PA jobs to get like on sets and but also got accepted not got accepted uh uh, someone was like, yes, I would like you to be my babysitter, um, that I would ultimately choose and would be with them off and on for eight, nine years. And it was great in a lot of ways and bad in a lot of ways. Uh, and it just completely veered me off of my track that I wanted. And I keep going back for some reason this week to this moment where a job that I originally was turned down for as like a PA or like first assistant for like some talk show was like, Hey, we have another opening. We'd like you to come in. And I got this email while like babysitting and I chose babysitting. And I've been like, did I make like it? And now like 10, nine, 10 years later, I'm like, did I just make it? Did I make a huge mistake? What would my life, what would that track be like now if I had taken that job? And I've been like obsessed with it this week. And I don't know why I haven't thought about that email in like years, but I don't know if it's because like now I'm job searching again in the pandemic and I'm trying to like get on a new track. And then it's like, oh, but you're 32 and you want to have kids in the next like couple of years because once you hit 35, it's a geriatric pregnancy and it gets much harder. And it's just like all these things came out of nowhere. Um, so I love this like act two. <laughs> and I love this. Yes. Like- oh my God. I am like totally here to be your Aunt Lindsay right now <laughs> because um, I just want to make you feel better about a few things. Um, first of all, um, I have a lot of things that I could have done in my 20s that I chose not to do. And they and some of them ended up being a wah-wah and some of them ended up being a like, oh, thank God I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so my career was, my career sounds... <laughs> It sounds very good on paper, but I was deeply unhappy. So that's the only way to describe it. So I, I went to journalism school and I wanted to be, I wanted to work for women's magazines. And then as soon as I started doing that, I not only realized that magazines were no longer going to be a thing in 10 years and they were going to be a lot of layoffs and it was going to be really hard. Um, I also realized I wasn't a fit for magazines. Um, I don't, as much as I loved women's magazines growing up and that was all I wanted to do, I didn't have the... I met all my friends there, but I just didn't have that. I didn't have that sort of like 
I, I can't explain it. Like I worked at Redbook and I worked at Glamour and I didn't really fit in at either one, even though I met very good friends there. I just didn't have the temperament and I didn't have the sensibility. I'm just too much of a dark person. I'm just too much of a, I used to be a real hater, but now I'm more of a skeptic. So I was really confused. Like what's wrong with me? Why don't I fit in? And I hopped from news job to news job and I was infinitely unhappier at each job. Um, but, but stayed in touch with people. So by the time I turned 35 and I was agonizing over whether or not to have children, um, I got married when I was, when I was 32. Uh, I just had to, so it's funny, like I quit doing stand up when I was, uh, when I was 20, I did stand up for like a few months when I was 22 and I always regretted quitting. I always regretted it. And I was like, I'm 35. Who's going to want to hear some like old person do comedy, you know? And then we one are day, so cool to each other. Sorry, go, you have no on. idea. And then one day, I just like woke up and I said to my husband, "I said, you know what? I am not sure if I want to have kids. I'm just I'm beating, beating myself up for so many years for not knowing, and I've just come to the conclusion that I just don't know. And I and, and I'm not going to make a decision. I'm going to get my IUD, and I'm just going to think about it in six months. Let's just check in in six months." And he said, "Okay," because he was on the feds too. And then I said. But if we're not going to have kids, I have to have a life of adventure and I'm going to go start doing stand-up comedy again. And I just got up and I went over to the Creek of the Cave, RIP, uh, which was the hardest mic to do ever. And I got up and I just like babbled about my family for five minutes and I was, I was just back, you know, and it turned out that 35, like nobody cares. Um, audiences after a while, you know, can only handle so many Tinder jokes. After a while, they really want some work and marriage jokes, you know, so I always had a little bit of a place on lineups, even if I cer certainly wasn't a star by any stretch. But um, I did get booked a lot because I had a slightly different point of view. So I was glad that I did it in my, in my mid-30s. And I need, that was the kickstart, really, of my act, too, because I started to just have, like, I just cried all the time, like, who am I? where have I been? Where am I going? What is marriage? What is children? And I just like sobbed for like three years straight. And it was great because I needed to have this, like, where, have, where, what is it? Like, where am I going? Where have I been? And, um, and standup gave me the courage because you get up on stage and you just bomb so hard. And it's just such a existential tunnel of darkness when you bomb. And then you kind of realize that it doesn't matter that nobody cares in this wonderful way, not a, not a, not a bleak way. Uh, and then you kind of get the courage to try other things and you get the courage to be rejected because you're rejected all the time in comedy, you know, and if you can handle that, you can kind of handle a lot of stuff you didn't think you could. Yeah. You're very right about bombing. Uh, just for listeners that aren't comedians, it is as awful as you think it is to talk for like five to 10 minutes with no response when there should be a response. But it's it, staggering. It's yeah. You're like, what just happened? Uh, but it goes, it, like you said, like if you can handle that, you can handle anything. And then it's just, it, you really learn how no one, no one cares. Like no one cares. No one's going to remember a bad set. Uh, a lot of times you don't even remember the bad sets. Like I don't remember my bad sets that well, except like maybe three out of like yeah. hundreds or like thousands of sets. There's like three that I'm like, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> but it's just, no, this is so it's so interesting. I love when this happens. I love when it's just like, I needed to talk to someone like you today and didn't realize it. Yeah. I think I did too. I needed to be, I needed to remind myself a little bit because it's, it's, I hear you, I have PMS and I'm having kind of a tough week. So it's good for me to remind myself that I'm not like a human trash bag. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Um, when were you at Redbook? Cause I freelanced for Redbook for a hot second right before they like imploded. <laughs> Oh Lord. It was my first full-time job. So gosh, I don't even know, 2003, 2000, 2003 ish. And I was there for I think two years. And again, I kind of realized that I, I loved all my coworkers at every job, any success I had, not any success, I shouldn't say that, but a lot of the success I've had in my life has been because I've, I've kept in touch with, with people I've worked with. So I always struggled with bosses. I always thought I was such a failure because I just didn't know what they wanted. I didn't know how to, I just, didn't know how to deal with authority. And I thought that people who struggled with authority were like rebels, you know, like rebels had a cause, you know, 
I just, I just think it's part of my personality that I just need a certain something. And a lot of bosses just, I just really struggle with it. So I took a lot of my difficulty at jobs with personal failures. If I wanted to want to be this perfect news person and this perfect women's magazine person and this perfect, but I just, I was never because I wasn't a fit. And my bosses wanted something for me that I couldn't give because maybe I didn't want to give it. Maybe I didn't want to be there, even though I told myself I wanted to be there. But the other thing I just wanted to say about the whole geriatric pregnancy thing, because that's the other thing about women's magazines that turned me off was like, I feel like it gives, it kind of scares women a lot into, um, into thinking certain things about themselves and what their limitations are. And I just want to let you know that all my friends had their kids after 35. And, and I know that there are certain like higher risk things, whatever. And and I get that, you know, that, yeah, there's just certain higher risk things, but all my friends, I very, I would say maybe three of my friends had their kids before the age of 35. So I think that the geriatric pregnancy thing is a medical thing. It's not like a you're old thing. And I think women, you know, we, we only read stories about trauma, um, which is important to talk about, but about bad things. And so many people have pregnancies that just go fine. And their kids are born like regular dumb old kids, you know, <laughs> so who are just not that, who are just like healthy and just regular terrors as opposed to, I had this terrible thing happen, you know, which is so awful. And it is important to talk about miscarriages and it is so, so important to talk about that. And it is so important to talk about IVF and to talk about Clomid and all these things that we're not supposed to talk about. It's so important for men to talk about vasectomies which they never do, which is such, never do. And I have guy friends who have, and I'm like, why aren't you telling everybody? They're like, why would I tell everybody? Like, who would I tell? But it's like, that's such a wonderful thing to do for a committed relationship because now you're the woman who has, you know, gone through has birthed your children, doesn't have to take birth control and doesn't have to get like an IUD, doesn't have to like take the pill anymore. Like you can literally make such an impact in this, in, in, in your wife's health. Uh, and, and you could also have, you know, you could also know like, thank God, no more, no more fucking kids. You know? Yeah. Cause even like getting your tubes tied as a woman is a very invasive and very painful, uh, operation. Um, I'm not even sure it's called if it is operation, but it's just like what they do. It's serious. It's serious. And, um, yeah, like that's come up with me and my fiance and it was like a touchy subject for him. And I was kind of surprised. Um, like I'll actually, we'll probably ask him if it's okay that we talk about this. Cause I always like to dribble check, uh, cause our sex life is like all over this podcast, which is super cool to have a partner that does that. But um, I was surprised that he was like, I really don't want to get a vasectomy. And I was like, cool. I have put my body through shit for yeah. the past 10, 15 years yeah. so that men don't have to wear a fucking condom. Like I'm not doing birth control after I have kids. I'm not getting my times to side. Like we have to figure something out because I would love to see what my body is like without this shit. Like I have an IUD right now. You know, you guys can decide later on. Like, that's the thing. You don't have to worry about it at the moment. Like right now, like you want to have kids one day, you know, it's not an issue. But after you have kids, your husband might be like, oh my God, what can we do to not have more children? Like, how can I like double be sure? I have an IUD and it's been, I've been really lucky with it. It's been not only, um, it's been so amazing for me that I actually don't mind having one. I think the soupçon of hormone that's in there is actually pretty good for me. So, um, cause I have a Marina, I'm actually getting mine replaced on Monday, which is a whole other topic I'm happy to talk about. But, um, but yeah, like I asked, you know, but a lot of men will, will do it and they just don't know anything about it. They think they're getting their balls cut off, you know, but someone wrote a really long, great article. I think it was in, I don't know if it was in GQ or Mel. They just like literally explained step by step what it was like to get a vasectomy and like what parts of it hurt, what parts of it were no big deal, what they talked about. And I was, it was such a wonderful piece because yeah, like it doesn't feel fantastic, but they get over it and they get some sort of insight into what it's like to be a woman for like a week and a half, <laughs> you know? And, um, and I think that's important to build empathy. And then, yeah, then you could just come all over you want, come on, come everywhere. And you don't have to worry about having kids, which is like having a kid when you're not, when you don't want to get pregnant is, uh, that's a both, both members of a couple thing, you know, it's not just on the lady. Yeah. And, um, and I'm real lucky that I, I, that the Morena has worked for me in a, in a fantastic way. So I, um, does not come up that I, I, it hasn't been an issue. Um, 
but if it was I would say something it's no fair you know and oh yeah well same so I'm Marina too and I have to admit uh I'm on year four I'm on year four I have to get it replaced next year um it's it has been great I lot I gained like a little weight but otherwise like my PMS got way better I haven't used a tampon in like three years but I just would love I would love to know what it's like to not be on any type of birth control for a second sure are you ready to shop Rakuten's big give week is back get 15% back at hundreds of stores and it's all happening this week May 6th to May 13th it's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. I remember thinking I was like in my 20s I was like oh what am I gonna look like in my 30s and like I was like looking in the mirror the other day and I was like I think you look exactly the same as you did in your 20s like your bone structure is just like a little better now like I was just like why did I think like so you say like why why are we so cool to ourselves about our bodies like right now I'm dealing with um I've definitely gained weight from quarantine while being the most active I've ever been in my life and probably eating the healthiest I have in a long time. And like, that's been driving me crazy. And I've just had like really a lot of issues with like body issues. And then that kind of starts to spiral of like, well, maybe this is also issues with your creative career. And maybe this is why you're not awkward sexism where you want it to be or blah, blah, blah. Or maybe if you did take that PA job, you wouldn't have been stuck with being a babysitter for so long and then blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And then I'm also reading, um, I'm reading it's right here because I actually oh my god Lindsay I almost forgot about this meeting because I was reading so intensely I was reading um such a fun age which is really really good but it's also about like a girl being a nanny and I was like oh all these things she's going through it sucked um but anyways I went on a huge tangent back to women being like terrible to ourselves why do we do that okay so my mother told me that her 30s and 40s uh were the were her best years and you are when you are in your 30s you are so beautiful and you have like you're just at your most gorgeous and 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 in your early 40s you are like i've never actually felt better than i have in my life now okay um and now i'm now i'm like over i'm a little over 40 now and i think i mean not at this moment you know during covid i mean if anyone feels super beautiful they're like you know you know prescribe me what they're on you know but but I think that you know in writing the book and not that you should you should care what men think but there it it is it is all a lie I had so I'm married and and I don't you know I'm not I wasn't looking for any new partners you know but like I had so many men under the age of 30 reach out to me like desperate to meet me desperate to talk to me they all want not they all but there's a certain cohort of men who only want an older, smarter, wiser, sexier woman who can A, know, who knows what she wants, has her career together, knows what they want in bed, knows what they want in life, um, has their career together, you know, has, you know, a little bit of money in the bank, you know, so that they're not like bawling all the time. And we're just bawling about different things. Mm-hmm. Have figured out their kid's situation, what, what, whether they've chosen to have them or, or not have them. And there are just, and this is not a sub thing or a dom thing. There are just, just women, a lot of women just don't know how to advocate for themselves in bed and say, this feels good. This doesn't feel good. This, this hurts. 
um, could you just move over? Like, could you, you know, and there's something about when you're older, you can just be like, I like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. I like when I put a pillow under here, like this feels good. And all these directions are so thrilling to a lot of men because there's a lot of pressure on them to just sort of know how to be this great lover and they don't know. And a lot of the men that I met over the course of the book, because I spoke to women on the record and I spoke to men off the record because it's, it's still a little tough for them to really come forth and say certain things. But so many of them said, I had, I had, I, when I was in my twenties, I slept with a woman who was in her thirties and it was the greatest sex of my life. And she was so great and it didn't work out but it was, it ended on such a nice note. And I think about her all the time in this like incredibly fond way. And I figured so much of myself out when I was with her and she, and it was all about how funny the woman was, how together she was, how sex was great, how she was busy doing other stuff with her life. And the guys kind of admired that they didn't really fit into their lives. They were not used to being like this, the object of like, there, like um, one guy told me he slept with his TA in, in college, which is, you know, I don't know how ethical that is. One guy told me that he slept with, the, you know, the wife of his friend's mom, which is very shocking in some ways. But they, they just, and it's not just a MILF thing, which is a thing, but it's also just like, tell me what to do and tell me how to please you. Show me something that I didn't know. Show me something that isn't in porn necessarily. Like just show me how to fuck you and show me how to be better in bed. And I think that there is this desire, you know, not that women have to be teacher all the time. That's a whole other thing. But yeah, it becomes like a slippery slope, right? It does. It does become slippery slope because you don't have to do more, more labor. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that's not what we're taught in any stretch. That's not what we're taught that when you're in your forties and you put in, and so I have friends who are divorced now and they're on Tinder and on the apps and so many men under the age of 40 are getting in touch with them and they're so confused by it. They're like, Oh no, they're just fuck boys or just that. I'm like, I don't know. Like, like first of all, not. give yourself a chance to have a good time. A, like maybe you need a, maybe you do need like a little distraction, not for nothing from after what you've been through. Maybe you don't need a boyfriend right now. Maybe you just need a boy friend. And, you know, people get tired of people their own age. A lot of people like people, like why, if women sometimes like an older guy who has their shit together, why wouldn't a guy want an older woman? And I think that's such a fucking lie. And that's a lie that's told from us from like, you know, the beauty community, you know, and the whole anti-aging community, you know, I mean, yeah, we should all exfoliate. It's good for you. But it's all such a lie. And I just wish... Like I've never, like, yes, my, my, I don't look like I'm 20 anymore. I get like, I still get looks. I still get checked out. I got picked up at, at by a, I must've been like 23. I got totally picked up by this, this kid who just got up the nerve to come up to me and just say, I got to ask, like, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And I was like, and, and the old me would have been like, oh my God, no. But I was like, I was like, thank you. I'm like, I'm married. You know, you can buy me a cup of coffee, but it's, and, and, and but he was interested in asking me out on a date. I said, but thank you for asking. I'm very flattered. <laughs> I said, but I am married. So I, I can't, this, I, I just can only accept a cup of coffee. You're like, but, I say we can't go any further. Yes. I said, I will accept your cup of coffee, but I am married. He saw my ring and he, got, he was like, oh no, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, don't be sorry. You made my day. <laughs> yeah. But it was, uh, but it's all a lie that men are less are men. Like, it's just, just, you just have to just walk forward with this sense of confidence and just people just think you're, if you think you're good looking, people think you're good looking. And if you, if you walk with good posture, people think you have confidence and, and sometimes you have to fake it. So you make it in some ways, but it is a lie. It is a total lie that women are not hot after 35. It like makes me want to vomit. I think about what, how much I wasted my thirties with low self-esteem, wasted my twenties, thinking I was nothing special is just if I, I sometimes I want to just shake these women and just be like, you do not know how hot you are. Like, and, and, and you will still continue to be hot. Trust me. You can be hot into your like fucking eighties, you know, like, if you want to be. Yeah. But, actually you saying that reminds me of, um, one of my friends, her mom is 87. She's older. She's also in her forties. Uh, and I found out her age yesterday, actually. I was like, your mom is 87. I was like, she looks like she's 60. And cause she does, she looks amazing. Um, and she, my friend was like, oh yeah, you should tell her that one day. Cause she thinks she looks terrible. And I was just like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, does this never end? 
does this never fucking end? It is harder to get older. And my mother is like my beauty guru. And I'm always telling her how beautiful she is and trying to copy her skincare routine. And, you know, as we get older, we are staring at our faces and we look at pictures of us when we're younger and we do look different. And it is sometimes it can be a little bit like sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, my God, like I didn't get a lot of sleep. I got like, you know, let me just like wash my face, get some cold water on my face. You just have to keep moving. No one's no one's looking at your flaws. People people mostly look at I mean, it's just me. I shouldn't say people. But when I look at someone's face, I, I'm immediately looking for something good. Like, oh, they have nice eyes or. Or, oh my God, like, like, look at those forearms, you know? Like, I'm never looking for something ugly in someone's face. I'm looking to be cheered by, by, by scenery. I'm not looking to be. So people are just people. And, and if you give a shit about what men think, men, men will want to fuck you no matter how old you yeah. are and what you want to look like. That is the truest thing. There is, so if, if you're worried about wanting to be attractive to men, don't worry so much. Trust me. You look fine. Oh, thank um, you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the general, the royal, you, the general. You. Oh, okay. I was like, thank you. Uh, I put up. Yeah. Well, you look more than fine. <laughs> but, but COVID is such a fucked up thing because we're all so tired of looking at ourselves. I actually took a break. I've been very good about, you know, following the rules. I'm trying to be Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci is my dom, you know? Mm-hmm. And I am. Um, but, but there was a time when the rates really fell, I think fell below 1% in New York. And I was like, I need, I need a haircut. Like, I'm just going to do it. I called my hair lady and she's like, I'll book you when there's no one in the office. I'll wear my hazmat suit. And I just said, I need a new head. I need something new to look at because I'm really sorry to feel kind of rotten about myself. And, and I felt better afterward because women have the, the blessing of like putting on, smearing on a little lipstick or getting a new haircut and kind of feeling like, I mean, some guys can like, you know, get a haircut and feel like a new person. But there's so many wonderful things about being a woman, you know, there's so many shitty things. But yeah, I mean, I'm not like looking forward to going through menopause per se, but I just, I just feel like I've tried my best to live, live a life where by the time I get there, it'll be like, well, at least I did X, Y, and Z, you know? And who's to say, like, if you have hormone replacement therapy, you can feel, you can feel not so terrible, you know? I get very personally upset, like very, and my mother is, I'm turning into my mother. We both get very upset when our peers say, oh, we're so old. I really hate that because first of all, speak for yourself, bitch, you know, like maybe you're getting old. Like I just, I just find that so depressing and it just, it just, it makes like your existence into such a sad thing. And I think that radiates into everything you do. It's like, why are you old? You're old because you need to like eat more fiber. It's like, everyone needs to eat more fiber. I didn't take a shit from like 2000 to 2015. Like we all need more fiber, you know, like if that's TMI, but I don't care. Oh no, but, don't worry. I have another show called Awkward Poop. So I love yeah, jokes. So I mean, I'm, I wrote a whole story about, I've written two stories about pooping at work. Uh, so it's my favorite topic as well. Um, another thing that women aren't allowed to do is take a dump at work, which to me is like, you cannot, you know, there cannot be quality of the workplace unless you can take a shit at work. But that's my, that's my, that's my other <laughs> screen. But yeah, it's like, well, what, why do you feel that way? Because you you have to like, you know, you're, 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 you think you need Botox. Do you feel that way? Because you're, you know, you don't know what the kids are listening to these days. Like, why do you feel that way? And, and, and just like, it's just really you know, or like, do you have kids and your kids are getting older? Just like really examine why you feel that way. Because if you're 40 or 35 and you feel like you're getting old, like what, like, like wait till your rest of your life. And Nora Ephron said something really funny about, um, you know, don't, you know, the, the face you hated in your forties is the face you'll long for in your sixties. And I think, and I think that's just, I think about that a lot. Whenever I look in the mirror and I'm like, Buh. I think I look fine. And when I'm in my sixties, I might be like, I might think of my, I'll be like looking at myself in my twenties being like, what was her problem? And when I'm 60, whatever, like 65 or 62, I want to look at, I I don't want to be like, what was I thinking in my forties? And I thought I was such a hag, you know? And I don't think I'm a hag. I think I'm fine. That's the pattern that I want to really break too. And I think a lot of people want to break is this idea of like what Nora Ephron said, like, I don't want to not like where I am now. Like, I don't want to look back and be like, oh, you should have liked that. I want to be able to be there now. And obviously that's easier said than done because of just like everything around us being consumed by all these different pictures and peoples and Instagrams and TikToks and, and these like, my favorite are like the fucking like 17 year old TikTok, um, 
celebrities where they look like they're 12 and they're like 18 and you're just like, I can't do any of this anymore. Um, but I just don't want that anymore. I don't want, I, I, it gets sad when I think about how fat I thought I was when I was like 19, oh. 20. And I was like, you were so skinny and your body hadn't even grown yet. Like your boobs are so much bigger now than they were then. And like, I like that I feel more comfortable in this body right now, but I want to learn how to be comfortable and respect it and love it. Um, this is such a, I like, I love this. It's such a great conversation. And I didn't like, I didn't get my shit together in any way, in any way, shape or form. And I say my shit together. I mean, happiness wise, health wise, looks wise until I was 36. Interesting. And you like, remember that year, you remember that was 36. Yes. That was the year I started to really understand what my issues were. Um, I never, I had gotten kind of, I gotten a little heavy in my thirties for a number of reasons. And I, felt very out of control with my eating and I felt like my, you know, everything I felt very, I, I called it like, um, the, I was on the defensive. I, I made all my decisions defensively. Like, Oh, I should get another job because my boss doesn't like me or I'm sad. So I'm going to eat or I'm feeling this way. So I'm going to do this. I never really put myself out in front of any of my issues. And I think with, and suddenly in my, in my, you know, in my late thirties, I just decided like, what is my issues with my, with food? Like, what is my, what is it? And I really thought about it. I talked to my therapist about it. And in the end, the answer wasn't like, I'm going to be a whole new me. I'm going to enjoy eating healthy. I'm going to enjoy doing this. And then suddenly it was like, I don't need to be perfect at eating. I don't need to be perfect at anything. I'm never going to really change. I just need to just get on top of it. And I have a lot of friends who are in recovery. And I found them to be um, really big inspirations for me in terms of like my admiration for them. I was like, well, if they can stop drinking... And they can do comedy, especially, and go to a bar and watch everybody get wasted and just like drink their seltzer and then leave early so that they don't have to like be around it. I started to think to myself, if they can do that, I can have, I can start to think a little more about why I want, why I'm choosing these moments to to binge eat or why I'm choosing these moments to let the decision overtake me. And I still eat like shit every once in a while. You're only human and it's COVID. But there are times when I, where I would go to, like, if I go to like a bakery to get a cup of coffee and I'll see the, the, the cookies and, I'll, and I'll, I'll ask myself, like, why do you want this now? And if the answer is, I'm sad, then I just, then I'm like, okay, just like, I'm like, well, how sad are you? <laughs> like, I'm like, are you just bummed? Because if you're just bummed, don't get it. If you're really sad and they'll cheer you up, like, it's okay. Like, go for it. But if you're, but if you're like, I gotta have that fucking cookie, that cookie's mine then get it. Life is so short, you know, but I started to really give myself the space to ask like, what is, what is the deal here? Like, what am I trying to solve with this food? Like, is it going to really, is this, is this cookie going to change the fact that I hate my job? I mean, my, my old job that I'll hate my job, <laughs> you know, um, in case my boss is listening. Um, no, but, but I, I started to think about the role that, you know, is this, you know, is this lipstick at Sephora, is this going to change my, my, my larger unhappiness or is this lipstick at Sephora going to be this amazing color that's going to make me feel awesome? Because if it's B, I'm going to buy that. Lipstick. But if it's just like, I'm sad, so I shopped, I really try hard not to do that anymore. And it takes discipline. And I think about my friends in recovery. They are my heroes. And because I, that is, that's really hard. And if they can keep it up day in and day out, then I can at least think about what I'm buying and what I'm eating and the, the relationships I'm having. It doesn't mean I'm perfect and I don't mess it up, but I can at least think about it. And I can give my, I can respect myself a little bit to deserve, to think I deserve to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I didn't, I'm gonna, yeah, I didn't do, sh- my, my life was just, a, was just a snowballing, sad sad sack until I was 36. And then when I decided I wasn't ready to have children, that was a really, I didn't want to have kids. That was my first big step into like making a proactive decision for myself. And once I decided that my whole life changed and I said, well, that's a big decision. That's really interesting that you worded that way too. Cause like, so to go back into like your thirties, your thirties and versus your twenties, I, I love my twenties. My twenties were amazing and they were raw and there were so many tears and there were so many good highs and so many good lows. Not that much. I mean, that's actually not true. There was a lot of like growth in my career and things that I did myself. Cause I also don't like bosses or authority. Um, I'm a very like, don't tell me what to do type of person, which doesn't always bode well, um, in like a, a nine to five 
But so when everyone's like, your thirties are your, your greatest, I hear that all the time. That's really when I started having this like spiral, like, uh, downward spiral of, and I don't know when it started and I don't know how it started. I'm out of it. I'm on the other side of it now because I made an active choice for myself, but I went on this weird spiral where all of a sudden I wasn't taking care of myself anymore. I didn't even know what I wanted anymore. Uh, I didn't, I just didn't know anything. I didn't know how to speak up for myself. I didn't know. I was just like taking everything in. And then in COVID, um, I talked about this in the podcast, so the listeners already know, but I was working at Trader Joe's when COVID happened. And when it got really, really bad in March, I decided to walk away. And it was the first time I'd made an active choice for myself, knowing it was yeah. the best thing for me and that I was going to like fuck over my managers and I was going to fuck over my employees and my friends that I really, really love. And it just started this whole new cycle of like, oh, you haven't been doing anything for yourself. You've been doing everything for everyone else around you. And it is severely bit you in your ass physically, mentally, emotionally. And it just, when you said I made an active choice for myself that changed everything around, like I definitely, you do, you felt like you really feel a shift of like, oh, I'm important. Like what I need is important. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we don't say, I'm, I'm, you know, the, what the big thing in the book that the Doms taught me, and, you know, I always have to shout them out because I was just t- taking in everything that they said, was like women don't, people don't say I want enough because we think of I want as like, gimme, gimme. Mm-hmm. But we don't think of I want as like, what do I want? You know, like, <laughs> like just in the most basic terms, because there's what do I need and what do I want, you know? And, you know, we're so afraid of, of, being being bitchy or being greedy or being ambitious or like hurting someone's you know, feelings or making someone's hurting life a someone's little bit fe- harder hurting someone's feelings you know and I'm such a nice person I I love like I'm such an empathetic person like empathy is and, and kindness is the key to life in my opinion but saying I want can can mean anything and it can mean like like it could mean like I can't work at this job because I don't want to get COVID, you know. I mm-hmm. mean, people don't really know, and you know, obviously, like how horrible it was for all of us in February and March and April. Like I'll never get over it in some ways. And I'm, and I was living, I was in New York during nine eleven, and March in New York felt like nine eleven to me. My mm-hmm. friend was my two friends in the hospital. I, you know, a lot of my friends had COVID, you know, I was just so worried. I would go to the supermarket and all the old people would be coughing and I cried all the day. I just, I would stay up all night and listen to sirens and, you know, taking care of yourself is, it just seems so greedy to people. And then you look around and you just see how disgusting and truly selfish humanity can be. It's like, can you imagine being like, I'm such a bad person for quitting my job at Trader Joe's, which has me in contact with so many people. And I could have sickened my, my partner. I could have sickened my neighbors. And then there's people out who are like going to orgies and, and going dancing and they don't think they're selfish at all. So selfish is relative. And my early thirties were fucking horrible. I, you know, and so the whole thing about it's your best decade, it's a lie. Every year is different. <laughs> my early thirties were horrible. My later thirties were also were difficult, but they were way better. And so far my early forties, even COVID has been a whole other universe. And I think that my only advice is just like, don't listen to any advice except for, except for, you know, just like all this, like all this, this umbrella, like your thirties are your best years, you know, your forties are your best years. Your twenties are the time when this, it's just people like me writing those articles and we're, you know, and like, they're just regular dumbasses who are just writing all these advice articles. They don't really know what they're talking about. And the best advice is, um, gives you space to be the best advice is I don't know like what do you think that's the only good advice to have and then there's concrete advice that you know like you put money away for retirement if you can whatever like there's certain advice that's kind of hard advice that someone can give you you know like you should definitely pay your taxes on time so you don't have to you know pay interest and there's certain there's that there's some good advice out there when it comes to how to live your life the only there, there is no advice the advice is you know listen to your friends and be inspired by the stuff you read but ultimately like only you know what's best for yourself and you have to have faith. That, and, and I love that you say that too, because when I got out of like my like downward spiral of my early thirties, early I'm, I'm still in my early thirties. I'm 32. I think I already said, that, but I can't remember was I realized that I was listening to everyone else, but myself too. And like you said, like, don't listen to people's advice. 
it's also really important to realize for me it was I had to realize that like these people really did have their best interests at heart like they truly did and they truly were trying to help me but like you said only you know only you know what you really need and it's being willing to say that and another thing that I've actually been doing specifically in COVID has been saying to myself like what do I want in my head like even if it's something as simple as like my fiance being like what do you want to get for dinner and I'm like "Mm, I don't care I stop and I'm like what do you want what do you want to do you want to order Thai or do you want to order sushi like what do you want like actually starting to say out loud what I want um and or just what don't, what don't you want? Sometimes, like even that's a decision. My husband be like, "What do you want to order?" And I'm like, "Here's what I don't want," because that <laughs> helps you get to a decision faster. I, also, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want either. Everything tastes tastes the same. I'm in hell. But I'll be like, "I don't want pizza. I don't want a burrito." Like, like, and he's like, "Okay, so we're gonna get this or this." And I'm like, "Okay, well, you pick." And then, like, you know, we get there. But even saying what you don't want will help you. I also love that picking what to order for dinner is such a universal, like, unhappy topic for couples. Uh, like we've like fought over it. It's just like, make a choice, make a decision. And then all my friends have been like, yeah, it's, that's when we fight. Like that's, it's just a thing. Um, so I love that you guys do that too. Cause that's what we'll do. I'll be like, I want, I either want a burger pizza or I can eat, uh, like a burrito. Those are the choices. And then they'll same thing. Like you just slowly get down to like, yeah, <laughs> like a spot. Um, but it, but it's not a metaphor for yourself. Don't be like like. And then I realized that the fact we could I couldn't figure out dinner was really what was like. It's not a metaphor for you. It's just the fact that nobody knows what they want for dinner because we're all tired at the end of the day and everything tastes the same. Choices are really hard to make, uh, especially when you're exhausted, and then especially when you're exhausted in a pandemic. you guys remember to like share subscribe review buy Lindsay's book bow down lessons from dominatrix on how to get everything you want uh this is half this just half the combo uh, i will talk to you you will hear more next hump day wash your hands wear your mask um i'll see you guys next week